Yes, welcome to For and Against, where we take a look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. It's Paul Roach with you here, and we continue in our trimmed-down version as debuted last fortnight. Yes, you heard that correctly. You can have double the For and Against fun every month now as we endeavour to come to your favourite podcast location, or perhaps you find us via the Diamantina Media Network website, each and every fortnight. Now, my fighting fit colleagues in sport, Simon Johnson. Just um, itching to get out there, Rochi. Good to see you. And Mr. Stephen Riley. G'day, Riles. Yeah, look, it's hard being here in the sporting capital of the universe to only talk about it, you know, twice a month. So, uh, yeah, champing at the bit. Mate, you are welcome to talk about it more regularly if you want to. Uh, In the show ahead, we'll look at the very future of live sport. Now that we're back, touch wood, from the pandemic. In the shootout, we'll get all futuristic and look at VR in sport, as well as consider the plight of the Socceroos. And of course, we'll wrap it up with Red Card, Yellow Card, where we point the finger at sporting types and their indiscretions off the field of play. Don't forget, you can get us on Twitter at forandagainst, underscore, at insta, against. And we haven't bothered with Facebook, have we? No, who needs Facebook? Exactly. Meta. Good, you know, whatever. good, Good call. Well, speaking of meta, we'll get to that a little later on in the show, but for now, let's get into it. So, at risk of tempting fate, it seems we're back. Dependably back. Crowds, that is, at sporting events. Notwithstanding the fact that probably the best super spreader event in modern history was the on-field celebrations that followed Body's 1,000th goal at the SCG. And that wasn't the only OHS issue with that mass of humanity. That was, that was scary stuff. But it's great to be going to live sport with full crowds. But the last two years has changed our attitudes towards many things and working from home on an industrial scale, for example. Uh, and there's concern amongst some sporting administrators that that will include punters turning up to sporting grounds or how it will affect them turning up. Now, call me cynical, but that sounds like a convenient excuse for sports that are genuinely struggling. Or you may be onto something there, Paul, but I think they're all going to struggle. I think this is the beginning of the end. Of what? Well, let's take it to the debates that are happening all over the world about how much time you need to spend in an office. All right. You've got a whole lot of people saying... I don't have to, well, I don't have to shower in the morning. I don't have to groove. I don't have to wear long pants. We've just had a scary insight into Stephen's work from home routine, haven't we? That's, that's too much information, Riles, but, but move right along. But you'd, you'd never know because I got the newsreader uniform on mm. and I, 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 you know, I just enough for the, to be camera ready. And what are you wearing underneath that polo shirt tonight, Riles? <laughs> and so have you put some deodorant like on? Come know. on. Sorry, mate. Floor is yours. you both like to know? Well, my point is, and, and they don't have to commute. All of a sudden, they've seen the potential for a, a better life, a better balanced life. So the question is with sport, do I need to, you know, brave the weather, put up with the commute, the shoulder to shoulder, the bad food? in order to watch a sport I could watch more comfortably and clearly at home. Alternatively, you might take the view (laughs) that over the past two years where you've been working from home and and not watching any of these events live, you're actually craving that human interaction and wanting to actually watch sport with a whole bunch of other people and feel that incredible surge when someone scores a goal. Rochi was obviously there when Buddy kicked his 1,000th. Mm. I'm still kicking myself that I wasn't there for that. COVID-related, though. That was outside yeah, your control. Something like that. To your and, point. And wow. just yeah. incredible. I mean, but I think, Riles, I mean, what sporting codes are going to have to do is make that live sporting experience better. 
And, and I think the challenge will be, you know, to get the stadiums up to scratch. And you can see that in the US, there's been a massive investment in new stadia, particularly with NFL, I think, with a whole bunch of new stadiums coming on board. And you've got that digitization of the whole experience. So you will be sitting at the ground, you'll be able to, you know, interact with your device and order food and have it delivered to you. Surely that's the way you're going to get more people to the ground. Just before we leave this whole point of the USification of our stadiums and our sporting events and our creating atmosphere, can we please not do this whole entertain you all the time because we're actually there for the footy or the cricket. You know, we not don't oh, want I don't know ads <laughs> blasted at us at the sound of jet engines taking off every single moment that nothing is happening on the field. Spare our senses, please. We'd Jeez. like to be able to talk to the person next to us. This okay. is what's going to drive me away from the ground. Okay, Grandpa. This sort You're of, bring yeah, hearing aids yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Thanks very much. Yeah, belittle me. Yeah, thank you. I think you're onto something, Paul. I mean, basically, Simon just described a situation where you go to the ground to watch the sport on your phone. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I think we're for- forgetting the, and, and remember, we're a trio of diehard sports tragics who appreciate the game. And yes, yeah, a couple of, yeah, maybe we are three grumpy old men. But I think what we're seeing in the world now is a bit of a reassessment to what is this sort of quasi parochial. Quasi. Um, <laughs> so you're already becoming American. Apologies for my, U- yeah. my USification. Yeah, yeah. No, I, just think, I just think we are going to see people will come back, Simon, for the reason you said they, they'll crave it. And they'll come and they will decide to watch the next game from home. That's what I'm betting. Yeah, no, I think there is definitely the risk of that. But I I do think there's ways around that, and that's to make the live sporting spectacle better. I mean, there are some stadiums that, you know, we will struggle to go to. I mean, you know, we think about going out to Homebush for various events and some of us would just take the view that's too far and that's not the type of experience that that I'm going to pay my hard earn for and give up three or four hours. But, you know, I think we just need to make that experience better in Australia. Let's see how the SFS is in Sydney. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I think actually you're getting to the the nub of the issue right there. And I think, well, uh, two things happened in a way in what you just said, Simon. First of all, you gave up the whole argument and said, yeah, yeah, (laughs) I'm not prepared to travel, you know, out to the live sport. Just a homebush. Second, you pointed out uh, a small flaw in what Paul said before. This is not the USAification, the Americanization of watching sport. This, This is a Sydney affliction. This is coming from a land where you just, you know, the whole lot of people are wishing they were there to see Buddy and run onto the field to touch Buddy and they're quickly checking with their mate, who's Buddy again? Whereas, you know, it, it's going to last longer in Melbourne because it's a religion and then it'll die out. But it, the Sydneyfication of sports fellowship, that is going to die out way faster because it doesn't have anything special. You've just undermined your own argument because, yeah, Aussie rules is not the code in Sydney. It's the domain of a bunch of fifty or hundred thousand inner city elites well, in cities north and east. Yeah. It's not rugby league. That's the religion <laughs> up here. Look, anyway, I think um, there's atmosphere and there's atmosphere, but I think there's definitely people want to go to the ground for a whole lot of reasons to see their heroes. And I think we'll have to. Um, I mean, we'll have to come back to this in a few months' time because the proof will be in the pudding, won't it? When it comes to crowds, I mean, we'll be able to tell. 
uh, the crowds back at these games. I mean, the early signs for some of the the league games, like they had that um, exhibition game and there were 25,000 people there, really good crowds. If you look back at the uh, test series, obviously, over the summer, that wasn't great, but I think that was kind of COVID interrupted and Definitely. we were going through the Omicron wave at the time. But, yeah, let's see. Let's see how it plays out over the next couple just, of months. Just to, to, to get serious for a moment, which might imply that I wasn't before, do we need big crowds? <laughs> I mean, when you look at when you look at the internet, there's this thing you know called the long tail, mm. which basically says that if you look at eight billion people and you do a bell curve of what they're doing, you can make a good living, a good business, or in the case of a sport, get a good following, all the way down the end of the long thinning tail. Do we need super big crowds, or do you just need sport? that actually you know, touches you and appeals to you, you know, without the, the flashing lights and the, what do you call it, the jet engine music you know, over yet, might we be better off with mm. smaller crowds and just the ability to go to sports we love as opposed to sports that have to mass entertain us? Well, it's almost like it's in the sport's interest to, to have a big crowd to make people want to come to the game because it does sustain the sport to some degree. Now, we all know that TV rights is it's what it's all about. But there's a difference between, and we've we've seen it, seen this over the last couple of years, right? There's a difference between watching a really high class game of footy with a couple of security guards there, and with a crowd of eighty thousand people. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. We've kind of run that experiment, have we? Haven't mm. we throughout the COVID years? And um, you know, we've we've seen the AFL games with no one there. You know, it's a game and it was okay to watch on TV, but surely nothing like the real thing when you've got, you know, 80,000, as Richie said. It's like the rugby league once once sang in the 80s, it's never the same unless you're there at the <laughs> this game. Is true, this is true. Look, uh, maybe uh, I, I do think, I think you're right. I mean, we've been there, we've loved it, but it's only if they're there and into the game. If they're just there for the spectacle, I don't think it's the same. I don't think you get that moment unless people are there for the game. I'm all for a big crowd. But surely it's that crowd of people who are caring for it, really into it. Yeah, but you're only going to get the crowd if people are into it. I mean, the mm. the um the 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 Aussie Rules Grand Final is the obvious exception. One third away, one third home, one third corporate. So you got a large chunk of the ground who's just there for the spectacle, exactly to be able to say they went because they're they're being fated and it's get this free booze from you know 10 a.m. kind of thing. I think by and large, though, you're getting people going who are into it. Now, maybe F1's a bit different because that Netflix effect, I think we talked about in the last show, you're getting a slightly different kind of crowd, maybe a bit more a more casual crowd. But the fact they're shilling out 100 bucks for a GA ticket on, on Saturday is a sign that they're committed enough to be interested enough. Well, I don't, I don't know that it is. Um, Roy Keane famously talked about Old Trafford losing its magic because there were too many people you know, at the ground eating cucumber sandwiches. He was talking about the people in the hospitality tents who were watching the game on their mobile phones, Simon, and, you know, weren't actually there to support Man United. They were just there to say they'd been to a Manchester United game. Yeah, it's, man, you're being a victim of their own success. Um, <laughs> so, so Riles, what's the next live sporting event you're going to? I'll probably go watch Hawthorne play sometime soon. <laughs> I'll, see, I'll see you out at this one soon. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, depending on when you listen to this, I'll either be going or just have gone to the uh, Aussie Grand Prix. So uh, with 130,000 of my newest friends, it's great to have that back. Well, I mean, it, it is an ongoing experiment. I think we'll be interesting to see. I, I think, well, we've expressed our views. I think the people want to go and see the sport, and uh, long may that continue.
Wow, you know, we just talked about people coming to the game and Riles talked about people, too many people looking at their phones and so forth. Well, part of this whole stadium experience or, or, or at-home experience is the arrival of virtual reality into how we watch sports. Riles has been talked for some years about the second screen where we just watch our phone because we're watching another game or we're watching another angle of the same game or we're watching the betting stats or what have you. And there's augmented reality, which which, which we see in the first example that comes to my mind is the Sale GP where there's a digital overlay on the on the, on the the course, the sale course, where you can see wind speed and direction and who's actually hit augmented but then there's virtual reality which as I understand it you stick on a set of goggles and you step into another world Steve it's like you're there so so you've got to think you, you, you put on a set of goggles and imagine that you are sitting in the second row at Madison Square Garden watching the New York Knicks play and you turn around and you know I don't know you got Jack Nicholson on one side you got Spike Lee on the other and the, the play is right in front of you and that's something that can happen right now. They can literally put a 360-degree camera and have you sitting. I said the second row. Let's make it the front row. The players can be falling right in front of you. Well, you can't quite smell it or taste it, but you can see it, and that is getting That'll come. more and more convincing, right, that you're there. But this is a game, is it, Ralph? Well, that, that, or is it actually that, the – This is for watching, right? This is this right. is this is he's spectating. Watching the live but, action. Right. So, so, and this this you can this you can do uh, in some regards right now. Or people trying to make that happen. In far, as far as in the game is concerned, what we're seeing is some really interesting. Um, you know, when you play a video game, people you play a, uh, like Doom or something where you're the guy holding the gun. That's called a first person shooter, right? Imagine now you're in a you've got a VR headset and you're in the body, so to speak, of the footy player soccer player the the tennis player and you so the movements are actually you being in the environment they're the games that we're just getting to the point where the tech the graphics the sound some of the what they call haptics which is the the feedback that you get you know in your hands or in some cases in a suit is uh, is starting to get more and more realistic it's pretty exciting there's two forks in the road here so john as i understand if i understand steve correctly there's the ability to view live action sitting in the, the front yep. row in Madison Square Gardens, and then there's the extension of esports. electronic. Or- yeah, exactly, exactly. So does that mean, Steve, that John and I could play a bit of one-on-one football in a VR football and we'd actually be running around kicking an imaginary ball? No, not so much yet. I mean, that that's sort of – so there's a couple of issues that we've got with running, that how do you get the movement? So at the moment you're still controlling your movement effectively with a, um, a handset that you have in one of your hands that controls uh, your – Okay your movement but there there have been things that have been trialed where you are say hanging in an apparatus in a room and so uh (laughs) know what you're thinking paul no no uh, no 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 no. well no i'm not thinking that i'm just (laughs) this is amazing go on and 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 so you you move your legs and you run and you kick Mm. and you're like and you know obviously there'll be some technique adjustment uh, but, you know, you, you can see these things coming together. If the haptic suit is good enough, you can create the right resistance so that – and this is futuristic kind of stuff, but I'm, I imagine it's it's within reach. So is it being – I mean, thinking about how it's monetized. So it's being monetized by, no doubt, the gaming companies who are, you know, the owners of the intellectual property in the game, but are they then doing deals with the sporting codes, presumably as well, are they? Um, so that if there's an NBA game that we were just talking about – then the NBA are giving up their rights. and So there's a few experiments going in that regard. They haven't yet from a spectator point of view. The game point of view, already those things are out there. So this is going to be one of those things where the sports are actually going to have to take a chance on do they start 
to cannibalize the tried and true game and give the rights to someone else or split it. Mm. And so that's going to be the big change. I, the reason why I think it will happen is because the money is coming through a different road, and that's Facebook or what we now call or net, call Meta. Meta. And that's the metaverse. The metaverse is all about this living in this virtual reality idea. Don't go as far as that. Ready Player One, you might have seen these ideas where you're basically acting like an avatar in a virtual world. Facebook are going to throw a ton of money at this because they get to basically sell the, the virtual real estate. They get to sell the virtual billboards. They get to own or lease, if you like, all the space for the people designing the games and the hardware and the experience. And they've got more money to spend than almost any other company in the history of the world. So I think they'll make it work. I mean, this spins me out, right? This idea of, of, of selling virtual space. I was reading that HSBC, who sponsored, I think it's the Six Nations or maybe the Premiership Rugby over there or maybe both, they have bought some space in some sort of sandbox. I was going to say, ah, yes, it is too. Yes, exactly. Thank you. I don't know what that is exactly, but I, I think I'm about to answer my own question here, but I'm flummoxed as to why they would do that, but presumably because there's enough people out there, people who I don't know because I, the people I hang out with don't talk about these things, there are sufficient eyeballs into these in these virtual worlds for the HSBC in this example to find it worthwhile to shell out, and I don't know what the dollar number is, but I'm sure it would take my breath away to invest in these alternative universes. Are they doing this out of fear of, well, the fear of missing out because their competitors might get in ahead of them, or and so it's a bit speculative, or is it well thought out and an analysed investment, do you think? Uh, it's it's a bit of both, but I, I would just say why it's got, uh, what the rationale is, they're following the eyeballs. If you were to look at the biggest openings of the last year from an entertainment point of view, you might think it was the Spider-Man movie, right? You, you, you might think it was some other movie. It's not. It's a video game. In fact, the top 20 video games would have outgrossed what Spider-Man did. This is what the HSBC and all the video game companies are basing themselves on is that this is where a growing generation of people want to spend their time. So they're putting their businesses there, their brands there. That's that's the business case. And you only, I mean, to that point, you look at Microsoft, They what have they invested? Was it $68 billion into Activision Blizzard, the, um, the gaming company? Oh, yeah. mm. Just extraordinary. I mean, that's a company that owns um, World of Warcraft and Call of Duty and a whole bunch of other games. But I mean, they're massive numbers. Well, they're also they also own some of the biggest esports games because not every video game becomes an esport game. But games like Overwatch are drawing you know tens of millions of people to watch other people play. You know, it's <laughs> it might as well call it sport and throw your advertising on because wow. that's the business. That's what the business is. You fill your stadiums with watching people play games and sport online. It's unreal. I don't think I'm the target audience uh, of this kind of stuff. Just quietly, because it doesn't feel bad. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't necessarily feel wrapped up by it, but I, I am fascinated by it because this is John. As you allude to this, this is very much a big part of the future of sport. Back to something vaguely resembling reality, and I'm keen to talk about the Socceroos, God bless them. So they've dragged out this World Cup qualification process for yet another tournament, coming down to sudden death games against the UAE, and hopefully, assuming we win that, were we to win that, let's not put the mockers on, uh, then Peru on consecutive June Tuesdays in Qatar. I mean, what's the fun in automatic qualification, right? Are they trying to maximise commercial opportunities by playing more? But even if we do get there, the picture is bleak 
long gone the golden generation of the mid-2000s, obviously. And I was reading an article in, in Yahoo Sports quite recently by a guy called Kevin Sangster, uh, who interviewed Craig Foster, amongst other people, uh, for their opinions on, you know, about the, the state of the Socceroos. And Foster made the point that it's it would almost be better for Australian football to not make it so we can have a more honest conversation about what we need to change. So there'd be a clean-out or, or something along those lines? Oh, look, there'd presumably be a clean-out, but it's it, it, I think what Foster was suggesting, we need something deeper than that, a bit more deeper look at the structures we've got in place, the youth development, where the money is spent and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you, you could look at it as being a bit of a short-term issue in that we've had massive injury problems, some COVID issues, um, like I think names like Aaron Moy, Tom Rogic, Matt Leckie didn't play in those most recent games. But yeah, I think there must be some fundamental structural problems with the Socceroos at the moment. It's quite sad to see, isn't it, given uh, where we were this time 10, 12 years ago? It's unreal. Riles, you got any magic solutions for us? Well, you know, I, I think funnily enough that the base appears to be going all right. If you look at the grassroots, the number of, of kids who are playing seems to be pretty strong. The, the question is, as it comes up through the teenage years, where are they going and what are they doing? I, I do wonder if this is, a, you know, in, in the past they used to go to the other football codes. I, I'm wondering if they're just dropping out altogether at the moment. I, I, I really can't figure it out. It's a bit of a concern. Maybe if you tally that against, well, you consider that against the rising obesity numbers, childhood obesity numbers and all that sort of stuff, maybe that does tally, Steve. Maybe more kids are dropping out at a certain age and not going on with it, but maybe it's not attractive. Maybe it's not attractive to continue on playing football beyond childhood because there aren't necessarily the in-your-face heroes like you've got in league and in cricket and in Aussie rules and and in NBA, dare I say it. Um, That's always a bit of a gravitational pull away for younger people these days, the old basketball. It is a bit cyclical, isn't it? Because we just don't have those players from Australia playing in the top leagues at the moment. And, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, we had, you know, Kuehl, Viduka, so many players in the Premier League that we could look up to. And no doubt that inspired a generation of kids coming through as we well. Had, we had to schedule home games at Craven Cottage just so they only had an hour or two flight, the entire yeah. 11 instead of a 24-hour flight. Yeah, I, look, I, I don't know that that's entirely true, Simon. I think we have got a, a bunch of players still playing in uh, – well, in, in, particularly in Scotland, in the Netherlands, I, I'm not sure that there are any. I mean, those powerhouse uh, leagues, those two. Well, you know, to be fair, when uh, you know, uh, Viduka got right up there, um, they spent a lot of their time playing for teams coming 11th or 12th in the in the Premier League, right? We're, mm. we're not saying they were mm. superstars. It was about the team coming together. I, I just wonder if we're picking the wrong players, or we're we're, we're not actually developing a, an Australian style of some sort that can go in and beat. I mean, let's let's face it, we're Saudi Arabia, Japan, uh, these are countries that find a way, but they're, they're, there's not a powerhouse of football coming out of there either. We, we should be able mm. to mix it with those guys. Surely we need to bring back Goose. Aussie, Aussie Goose. Goose. Or Ange. Or Ange, yeah. He's starting to yeah. earn some stripes overseas, isn't he? Yeah. Well, who knows the solution, but um, let's hope they find it real quick and uh, manage to scrape through in June. Yes, so uh, we're on to now red card, yellow card. I knew there was another segment to go. And I'm thinking maybe I'm hesitating saying red card, yellow card because uh, I'm going to confess, mine's uh, mine's not brilliant. So I'm really hoping you guys are going to be able to carry Come this on, segment. Richie, after last show, we've yeah, got to be better know, than that. I know, yeah. I know. So red card, yellow card, where we uh, enjoy poking fun at sporting types who have erred, been indiscreet, off the field of play, 
done things they would rather we forget, but we make sure that we don't. So who would like to kick us off? John, are you looking I'll, keen I'll there, I'll kick mate? us off, sure. yeah. Champion at the bit, Go as always. It. So it's a bit of an obscure yeah. one, and I want you to just bear with me. Hmm. There's a little bit of background to this Should one. Sit so back, close my eyes. Please do. I'm going to paint you a, paint you a picture. Oh, so there's okay. a gentleman by the name of Rashed Belhassa, who I had never heard of until recent times. Same. But he's also better known as the social media sensation Money Kicks is his handle or his name, mm-hmm. um, he's in talks to launch an exhibition fighting career. Now, I need to tell you a little bit about Money Kicks because obviously you've, you've never heard of him. Haven't heard um, of that either, yeah. He's got 2 million Instagram followers. He's the son of a Dubai-based construction mogul worth around $4 billion. Awesome. He lives in a mansion in the UAE that has its own private zoo. Naturally. With over 500 exotic animals. Uh-huh. Now, what's the, the connection with sport, I hear you ask? I'm waiting. Um, he somehow become friends with a bunch of sporting superstars <laughs> and celebrities who visit his zoo and pose for photos. So I had a little scroll through his Instagram account, and there's Lionel Messi, John Terry, Mariah Carey, a whole bunch of non-sporting stars as well. But it's quite extraordinary the number of people who have gone over there just to you know pet a tiger or, or whatever other exotic animal he's got. As you do, Mr. Kicks also has a shoe slash trainer collection worth one point five million dollars. <laughs> Anyway, this is all by the by. My nomination actually goes to Floyd Mayweather. The reason being, he's actually just announced that he's going to have an exhibition fight against Money Kicks later this year. Now, Money Kicks, I reckon, is probably about 75 kilos ringing wet. (laughs) He's never boxed before in his his life. But this fight is apparently going to take place on the helipad at the Burj Al Arab Jumeirah Hotel. Naturally. So I'm not sure that Floyd could go any l- lower in uh, ruining his reputation after the exhibition fight against YouTube star Logan Paul. Mm. But I think this is a new low. It seems like a natural evolution, frankly, from that previous uh, I think so. fight, he's, inverted commas. He's 45. He's going to take someone on. So, yeah, look, my nomination after all of that goes to uh, Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> That's quite a good little word picture. You are ridiculous. You are absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> your, your hypocrisy stuns me over and over again. This is a guy that talks about, you know, the technologification of entertainment in a stadium. And you, this is you. You're talking about how yeah. sport needs to evolve, and yet somehow the biggest grossing boxing match of the year, Floyd Mayweather versus Logan Paul, wasn't a sporting event that you were interested in. And now you're offering no. a ah, it was compelling viewing. Yeah, there you go. I'm still yeah, giving. Yeah. I'm giving. I'm giving sure, Floyd a yellow yeah, for that. Yeah, yellow card. I'm, I'm with you, Jono. I see the point you're trying to make, Steve. But this is red card, yellow card, mate. Reality gets suspended. You know, anything you said prior to this doesn't doesn't count in the red card, yellow card safe zone. Um, so with that little outburst, mate, which is not very common in red card, yellow card, you better um, come up with something good right uh, now. All right, let's see how I can do. So I want to nominate Jonathan Allen. Jonathan Allen's uh, an American football player in the States, African-American, which usually wouldn't make a difference, except I think it's important for this particular story. You see, he was asked on Twitter to name three famous people he'd like to have dinner with. This happens on Twitter, happens in a crowd, happens to celebrities all the time. And uh, he nominated my granddad. That's nice. That's lovely. Michael Jackson. Uh Uh-huh. And Hitler. Oh, wow. Out of why? Why indeed? Because he was quote unquote a military genius, and our friend Jonathan Allen loves military tactics, and he'd like to to pick his brain. 
as to why he did what he did. Wow. Well, wow. Wouldn't, wouldn't we all? That's uh, <laughs> Now you have my attention. What was the footballer's name again? Jonathan Allen. And I'm nominating a him Jonathan. for a red yeah. Yeah, straight that red. That is definitely red. red. Um, so I'm going to nominate Naomi Osaka. She was in a press conference after a recent tournament where it was brought up that um, oh, what's the what's the Greek guy's name? It starts with T. It's it's Tsitsipas. Thank you, Stephen. Yep, that guy Tsitsipas. Apparently, Tsitsipas had suggested that women should be playing five sets, and someone in the uh, the press pack put that to Naomi that um, you know, bit of equality, women play five sets. And uh, she abandoned the sisterhood. She effectively said, no, no, we, we shouldn't. Uh, we can't. And uh, should we push the men's sets out to nine sets? If they're going to bump ours up, should we bump theirs yeah. out? So I think she – correct me if I'm wrong, but I think she, she sort of sold out a bit for the sisterhood there, so saying we shouldn't and we can't and no thank you. Is this in circumstances where it was a discussion around equal pay? So if it's equal pay, they should be playing for the same amount of time? Look, or I, I must say I only saw a few paragraphs mm. uh, on the socials that are related to this topic, so I don't have a lot of context. It is a good question, John, but I don't have a lot of context. My research didn't extend that far, unfortunately. But uh, apparently Tsitsipas um, raised it sort of without prompting and then, yes, yeah, so it was, as I say, it was put to Osaka. Uh, I don't know. I feel like that would change the structure of tennis. Like people will start doing things differently in the gym and stuff like that. It'll probably take a while to be implemented. So, you know, it's like like a man is talking about a woman's sport. So I don't think his idea is going to go through. Mm. So there you go. Interesting one. So I'm, I'm suggesting a yellow for Naomi Osaka. Yeah. Tush, but yeah, okay. Yeah, it is a bit. But that's lower of the two cards we have on offer. <laughs> See if I can see yourself chaming in a bit to chime in. You've really been very vocal on red card, yellow card. Don't, don't, don't stop now. Nothing well. to say. You know, I, I good. Think no, no. If you yellow, you don't have to. No, you don't deserve any of my comments. Yellow. <laughs> good, good. Well, that means we can wrap the show up uh, with the end of red card, yellow card. That brings the uh, show for and against to a conclusion. So it's goodbye to Stephen Riley. Goodbye, everybody. I look forward to the future of live sport. Absolutely. Goodbye to you, Simon Jono Johnson. See you, Richie. It's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Don't forget, get us on the socials at for and against underscore on Twitter and uh, on insert for dot and dot against. But until next time, it's all Stephen with a last or going, going, gone. Oh, oh, and soon in the metaverse. And soon in the metaverse. Good call. Very good call. Whatever that exactly entails, soon in the metaverse. Dot, dot, dot. And on that intriguing note, it's goodbye for now. Goodbye.